do you think we are learning how to respect another person's right to an opinion online at least no <laughs> one of the great things about internet culture compared to galileo is that if you sound crazy you're probably right if you're saying that you want to be comfortable with how much you know that is not an option for you anymore Okay, yeah. Am I audible? Am I my do I sound like you can hear me clearly? Why can't you see me? I can't see you too well but I can hear you. Wave your hand. Yes. I see you move. I see you move. It was nobody move. Nobody <laughs> move from Bangalore there. Everybody all of you were in the right place. <laughs> so this is take 25 of stories with Shastri and I'm very very happy to have Anuj coming on and talking to us about memes and internet culture and let's see what we can try to do with that uh it's been great i'm quite excited for this one so i don't know how to start this one but then i'm going to start with asking you to let people know a little bit more about you my biggest uh project in life is meme regime which is essentially a curation of memes in an art gallery and the end goal of that project along with my life is to bring memes into uh, like museums of contemporary art and eventually like landmark them as a piece of contemporary art in our time and um, i have a podcast which is deep red neurons about philosophy murders and uh, other affiliated stories that's it Indian Express uh, describes you as the first meme curator, and I remember the first time I met you. That's what that's how you introduced yourself to me, also. So, how do you? Uh, how, what are the various reactions you get when people tell when you tell people that you're a meme curator? Uh, most of them don't believe me. They don't think that's a real thing. And uh, unfortunately, my dry, uh, dry pan and humor face and my actual face is the same thing. So most of them think I'm I'm joking and like because everybody else knows me and they're they're the ones that are, that is being introduced. Um, they think I'm joking and this is an elaborate prank that I will play for months. Hmm. So usually there is disbelief, which is great. I enjoy it quite a lot. But then, how do you? I mean, I have you met anyone who? is doing what you do no not at all uh from what i understand we're the first ones to do it in the world sort of uh and then uh, there there three other exhibitions that panned uh in uh, usa but as far as southeast asia nobody does meme curation in particular okay so what does a meme curator do exactly Oh, like the question that uh, basically a meme curator, like my job as a meme curator, is to select from the very, very overbearing amount of information available on the internet memes that capture uh, historical historical significance in internet history and artistic parallels that are actually evident from previous world that sort of mimic uh, art art movement that have previously happened. So basically think about it as internet as a as a virtual space and you need historians for the same art historians in particular so i deal in remembering memes the right way at least the right memes that need to be remembered and mm-hmm. i help give a, a fast track course of what memes in a certain time were instead of having yeah. people go back to the permanent record of the internet and sort of revisit it all by themselves yeah that makes sense so you say that memes are the most democratic art form mm-hmm. why do you say that uh well it's because um how do i go about this uh, that's like efi type of thing okay so basically think about the fact that these these many people have never had this much access to distribution of content you know how yeah. before the printing press getting your written word out was a, was a position of privilege but after yeah. that if you've written something and you want to distribute it there is a place that you can go to and once you're recorded and you're published that will be distributed and remembered for sure the internet is sort of 
a 21st century equivalent of that, but like on steroids. So, in the history of the world, not as many people have had the uh, tools to create and distribute the content they want to create and distribute, especially in audiovisual format, which is what I say is democratic. Right. So, right, and uh, you know, I was reading one of the articles you sent me, and uh, you stated that uh, mythological memes are pretty big. Mm-hmm. Right. So, irrespective of whether someone uh, is takes offense to them or someone who glorifies them or looks at them in whatever way possible, how long do you think it will take for India's meme culture, meme and internet culture, to cease to be democratic? Uh, well, if you mean that bigger powers will take control of the meme culture, that has already started to happen. Yeah. But uh, meme sort of like the inherent stuff of memes is that the wittier one wins, the one that sticks with you wins more. Mm-hmm. So if memes are if your memes are able to create thought-provoking uh, biases and you can create a consensus of um, dissent against anybody with power, then in that case, memes will never lose democracy. But at the same time, any meme for it to be successful, the people have to come around it. Like, that is one of the aspects of memes that's beautiful, that like, if you don't have memes being shared by the people themselves, then they don't, they don't take off. They just die where they were born. Right. So, in a sense, right. so what's the, huh. in a sense, memes will lose their democratic element only if, uh, or as, as we understand, is censored. So we have to really become North Korea to like means to all go away or seems to be democratic. Right. And uh, where do you think, you know, I, I understand that the whole concept of offense is subjective, but a lot of people, you know, will probably, uh, you know, make a human cry about, in whatever way possible, about how something is offensive. So where do you draw that line? Uh, do you have that line in the first place? Yes, I, I definitely do. Uh, I think where I draw the line is, uh, one, what are you laughing at? And mm-hmm. two, to what extent is human agency a factor of what you're laughing at? For example, um, Choosing something as to the scientific Scientology as a belief system. That is a very cognitive choice. You have had the privilege and literature to explore everything and then come to a conclusion that is patently stupid. Right? Yeah. So, something like that, I have zero regrets making fun of. Uh, hmm. But the way somebody looks, for example, like their facial features don't exactly bring an aesthetic appeal that society agrees to. In that case, it's not yeah. one. It wasn't. They didn't really choose that. So that really matters to me. That to what, to what extent was your agency involved in what I'm making fun of you for? The way you look clearly is not your problem. It wasn't like your choice at all. So I think that one matters. And the second one is uh, what kind? What is the joke exactly? Is it tragedy that you're laughing at? Or are you making fun of the people who are going through the tragedy? Hmm. So, uh, I don't know if you know about the Tiananmen Square thing. Uh, the what? The Tiananmen Square massacre? Sorry, that wasn't... The what massacre? Uh, the Tiananmen know? Square uh, massacre. The one happened in 1989, 1989 in China. I know nothing about it. So, basically, these um, students were marching in the streets of China for democracy because the communist government wasn't giving them free votes and their autonomy was being suppressed. So the Chinese government put the tanks and the military in the streets and started killing people. And to this day, they have completely denied the existence of that event. Now the memes that circulate about the massacre, the memes that circulate about the massacre are about calling the Chinese government out for um, denying the massacre. They're not making fun of the people who died, but they're making fun of the fact that the Chinese government is, one, committed a crime against their own people, 
do is denying that they that ever happened. Right. It's becoming a trend to, uh, I won't say trend, I think, I think, uh, I would say that memes are, a fo- are, I'm seeing a pattern of them becoming a form of expression when it comes to protesting against the establishment in a lot of ways. Like the other day, my friend uh, put up this one where uh, someone's silhouette was doing, uh, was stretching for the day and, his, and under each uh, image, it said it's a good time to start uh to arrest the people who killed Brianna Taylor, mm-hmm. for example. So, do you think that happened? Uh, that was a conscious decision, so that we know that it means get circulated a lot more, which makes sense as a channel to protest. So, so protest our means uh, have been a blessing because it combines two things that are very important for the powerless to protest: a major form of distribution and, and anonymity. Yeah. So if, if I want, I can publish something on the internet that could be circulated if I wanted it to be without anyone knowing who I am or where I am. Which yeah. means that I don't have any accountability for the message that is going out. Which really sets me free in the sense that I can say whatever I want against the people in power. Which is why, yes. which is why memes are such a, such a big part of protest culture in uh, like our times, because even Hong Kong protests, people started sharing Pepe's images inside Hong Kong. Like they built AC size posters and they would carry them around. Uh, for yeah, I think that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So means in that on that front were very 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 uh, essential that they combine combine anonymity and uh, accountlessness, a uh, separate from a person, which is why you can publish a message that is inflammatory and not have consequences. And of course, it spreads faster because if you, if everyone agrees with their issue. But the flip side of that is that uh, they can also be used to spread anti-Semitism, which is a pretty widely done thing. So memes, as I see it, are a war, and your your brain and your opinions are the um, is the battlefield, basically. Both yeah. sides are fighting for the like the control over your agency through the information that they feed you. Do you think uh, memes are educational? Because I asked this because I went through some of your video essays on your YouTube channel and I see that you you have discussed a lot of philosophical, psychological, social, cultural, evolutionary concepts. But you use uh, various memes that have, you know, taken who have gained momentum that have that has gained momentum over the years and it's it's very educational for someone who doesn't know anything about it so was that the intention behind it or do, is that why you think memes are uh, educational definitely i believe memes are one of the most efficient um, educational tools that we have at our disposal because in the end like the way richard dawkins describes it it is a behavior or a Burst of information that happens to be uh, that happens to be coagulated and put in front of you so that you can quickly consume it, and then it moves on to the other person to give the same information, and then you can spread that information ahead. That's the nature of them, and that's why right. they're, they're a very powerful educational um, tool. And to be honest, World War II history majorly I've learned through me. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I, the, absur- no, no, go the on. absurdity of how the history makes such good memes, that, that's how you can learn entire periods of like uh, history. For example, uh, the tanks that used to go inside water neck deep and then come out. I think it's called uh, the Panzer Mark III. And there was an image on the internet that says, do you want anything from McDonald's? And it's just a tank poking outside water with its uh, barrel outside. And that's how I went on to an entire rabbit hole of what tank it is. I also learned that Pepsi got paid in warships by the Soviet Union. And they were yeah. the biggest military for about a year in 1989. Because they had six warships as payment by Soviet Union. So... Wow, I didn't know that. I knew about uh, Fanta or Mirinda, one of them being invented around yeah, the world so, because they did not. 
they didn't want to consume uh, i think coke or pepsi or one of them so fanta was made by the nazis as a national like aerated drink as a replacement for coca cola Yeah, and that's something about that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think the meme sort of took took over, and like it died when John Oliver did a video about it. Mm-hmm. I think John Oliver did like a two-minute video about how just Fanta and Nazism are tied for both, and that's when the meme sort of went overboard, and then everybody stopped talking about it. But till then, it was a huge thing. Right. You, uh, I went through one of, uh, so one of the video essays that I went through, and uh, also one of your episodes. You speak about, uh, you know, the something about genetic memes. Now I've heard of various types of memes, but I don't know what genetic memes means as a term. Okay, so basically, so basically, this goes back to the etymology of the word meme itself. Where does the word meme come from? The word meme was coined by Richard Dawkins in 1971, and the book that he was doing it in was the Selfish Gene. So yes. He was talking about genetics, and between his research, he came across behaviors, uh, for example, cooking, or uh, yes. something as odd as kissing, that sort of had no evolutionary necessity, but it was carried on in human culture and had no genetic basis either. There is a genetic reason for us to know kissing. Is this something we practice socially? But it comes naturally to us now. Yeah. So he sort of implied that there is, um, there is a non-genetic trope within human culture and animal culture that travels from generation to generation without any genetic basis, and he named that as me. So the way memes travel, even internet memes, the way they travel is that they have a lifespan and they travel like their genes. The most, the fittest meme, the fittest idea for a society to travel is the only one that will travel. The other ideas will die out and they will stop being shared. That's a very interesting way to look at it. I've never seen it like that. <laughs> How do you? Uh, why? Okay, let me start with why. Why do you uh, create, look at it in a, in such a way where you're also educating people about it? So why do you look at memes from a philosophical point of view? Um, I mean, a lot so of free time. Number one. <laughs> But, <laughs> okay, other than uh, that. Other than that, because I feel like. Uh, Educating the masses has been one of the biggest challenges uh, in the world in general. And what has happened, especially the big, if you look at the biggest oppressive institutions in the history of humankind, which is mostly religion, it will it will revolve around creating monopoly over knowledge. Only I can talk to God. You can't talk to God. Which is why there's a difference between us. Yeah. Only I have the nuclear weapon. You don't have the nuclear weapon. That's why there's a difference between us. And that's how people sort of create these oppressive systems. And I believe that education, specifically chaotic amounts of knowledge being uh, present across people's minds, sort of democratizes the process of dictating the purpose of your life. And I feel like memes could be a very consequential event in that. As you, it could equip you to question your government the right way. It could equip you to uh, know your rights when you go to the doctor, things like that. And it could just educate you about history. And I feel like, uh, especially because you educate them through a philosophical lens, and take use this and preserve this cultural thing that we've arrived at in the internet age, I believe we could actually bring a lot of positive change ahead in the future. Right. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, all I have to say about that. And there's there's a comment that's very interesting. Someone just called a counter attack by Coca Cola. They introduced kombucha as one of their products in Russia, which was a pretty common drink consumed in Russia as a way to combat anti-colonization. That's pretty good. Uh, okay. 
So coming to you know religion, uh, and you talking about how mythological memes have become huge. Why do you think that is? Considering that a lot of people from I will take the liberty to say our generation uh, are constantly questioning the existence or the validity of the idea of God or religion or faith. Well, people from our generation are doing that, and mythological memes are sort of a symptom of that. And I, I feel like it goes back to uh, the postmodern view of looking at things in general. That like on a long enough timeline, the institutions that you've built and look back in history will seem to be less idealistic than before. And that's the journey in philosophy that we've done since the Enlightenment age. We have glorified these institutions that have existed for the longest time, and their influence and their image has decayed over time. Especially the lockdown has been really bad for celebrities because their power over their people has sort of reduced. People don't worship them anymore. Yeah. And yeah. slowly but surely, memes are a way to question the institutions that have been injured and still have an unnecessary amount of uh, influence over people. For example, Yogi Adityanath very clearly based his entire campaign yeah. on his religious appeal. Yes. And that is consequential because religion still has a hold in over an entire state and our majoritarian government is sort of supporting this ideology where your religion could matter for your politics when separation of church and state is something we agreed upon 70 years ago. So I feel like that adds up and means are a very effective way to counter that argument that like this institution has any relevance. Right. What's your take on the ideal world? On the what? On the ideal world. What's your take on it? Because you speak about it in your video essays quite a bit. So, I mean, it's, it's an idea I learned from um, Plato. And he talks about okay. how there is a chair that you sit on. And there is an idea of a chair that has been passed on to you that you copy to sit on. And the chair that you make is actually an inferior copy of the chair that was in your head, the, the idea of yeah. the chair. So I feel like uh, that is that is a consequential difference that you were not taught as children, as a generation. And we, and we were told that pragmatism is not necessary for us. You can do anything you want, you can learn any instrument you want, and then suddenly in teenage you were told pragmatism is important. Right. Till, I mean, I don't remember till 7th grade my parents giving me any semblance of reality. All of the, all of the reality I saw was something I observed outside the house, brought it inside the house and the discussion was shut down. And this continues to this day, for example, we don't talk about sex, we don't talk about casteist violence in, uh, in houses that are privileged. Yes. Uh, we just tell people to stay away from something because they're unknown or uncertain. And I feel like that is a consequential difference between how you are raised and how you are as an adult. And that cognitive dissonance sort of brings the ideal world into the picture because everybody sort of everybody frustrated today because they were promised the real world to be something else, and that was the ideal world. And that's not what they got. Hmm. How do you see uh, our the internet culture evolving and changing over time? Considering that genera one generation tells the other generation about something, and the other generation finally, like you said in one of your essays, uh, googles it mm -hmm. and checks whether it's right or wrong. So, how do you think you see? the internet culture from what it was, what it is today, and how do you think it will change in the future? Um, what it was, was essentially uh, a place of business. That's how it started. And then yeah. some, some people in HR had the brilliant idea of letting workers have unsupervised time on AOL, which is what AOL was made for. It was yeah. made for companies so that their, their employees can talk about the other customers they serve Within these, uh, within these small microcosms that people were talking about, they realized that we don't have to talk about business if our superiors aren't here. They're using these people in um, these products, these distribution mechanisms, to share jokes. And they were 
just talking about talking shit about their superiors and things like that basically it became a permanent record of whatever you want to do and then online forums came along so that you could talk about that uh, to an amplified degree to the entire world with a computer and by 2010 we sort of realized the power of that and 2010 to 2013 we just make silly jokes we sort of flirting with the idea of just putting your opinion out there which is why you see very innocent memes about yeah. um, the potato chips are over or uh, something like you know um the demotivational post a motivational picture with a demotivational quote a very simple joke yeah because the culture was still yeah. learning to adapt to an amplified voice where everybody can hear what you're saying and after that people realize the kind of power they have by the uh, by the year 2014 and then they use that to sort of spread awareness about things that they've learned before uh education gets better and then means by themselves become a more complicated format where they're referring to the history of the real world history of the entire internet itself and it's a big combination of the two and uh as we progress into 2020 some means have decayed into something which they they're not completely recognized as for example doge uh is a meme that's a form of posting by itself now like doge posting is a real thing i think lr 333.8 does that uh, posting and of course le meme uh, le doge meme is a Yeah. is another page that just posts doge images and one of the most popular formats is looking at the history of the world more cynically so we're still in a place where we're questioning where we came from and i believe that in the next yeah. five years we'll be questioning where we are in time especially given covid and the pandemic like that's the new trend that questioning where we are becomes uh, a big thing it's already happening with the police brutality protests uh, gaining weight in uh, america and now forming a culture of anti police behavior in india and i believe yeah. towards the future it will start of ingrain for example phones will become a part of your body it's something you can't separate from your body i think we're not very far away from that future maybe 20 years right and you know speaking of so i be very honest so i didn't know how to pronounce doge up until now <laughs> when you said it and i was like okay cool <laughs> Yeah, and someone also just said I thought it was pronounced Dodge. I was like Dodge, dog. What is it? I was, you know, up to speed with all the language, and then I recently just I just keep learning new words, and now I feel like I don't, I can't, you know, catch the drift anymore. What do you think about self-deprecation as a form of expression in memes? Um. So one of the things about the internet culture is that it's unforgivingly permanent in its record keeping. Like if you posted something, it's gonna be there. Some somewhere, somebody somewhere has a record of what you said in uh, May fourth, two thousand three, two thousand thirteen. That you don't remember. It was probably problematic now than it was before. And self-deprecation is sort of a shield about that that you yourself accept that you are not a perfect person. Has a history in meme culture. For example, uh, uh, I think "depressed bear" was the first meme that explored self-deprecation, and it was a meme where people would sort of admit the cringy shit they've done in the past. For example, somebody remembers that the first person that they ever slept with was their cousin, and they didn't know it was wrong at the time because they were fourteen. They accepted that through the cringy bear. and they sort of came forward to accept that yeah. they're not a perfect person and that was the first layer after that uh, another conversation that really got amplified because of the internet is that i don't feel fine but it's not okay to talk with my parents my parents say i shouldn't tell my friends either i tell somebody on the internet and we find how how many of us feel broken and alone and like our mental health is fucked because of the internet not because of the internet because of yeah. the way we raised and internet helps us find the solace in a in other people who also feel the same way they don't feel okay and self deprecation is a way to accept that you're not okay it's working towards creating a culture where you can yeah. say that and everybody could be just fine with that they're just listening and observing and learning right i have this ritual with my friend where 
he's studying in Mauritius and uh, he's uh, preparing to be a doctor and I'm out here and we try to do this thing almost every week at least once where we spend one hour just sending each other memes. Mm-hmm. Right? So how do you feel about the fact that memes have taken over something that helps people cope with a lot of things? Well, it's a boon and a bane at the same time. Like, for example, somebody sitting over, the technological boon of it is of course somebody who you would not be able to keep in touch with, say, 30 years ago, is now within the tap of a finger, instantly accessible to you uh, because of the internet. And that, that's, a, that's a great thing. That means your connectivity is likely to build and something that your friendship could preserve because of that. But at the same time, what if this goes away tomorrow? It would create a huge psychological gap of adjustment. That's the only bane there. But I think it's a, it's a good thing because it encourages conversation. I believe conversation in any form, especially digital, could really help you understand and cope with what you're doing and sort of bring more input into what your thought process is becoming. To this, there is a very textbook answer and I understand if it's confusing because it genuinely is. I don't, I don't sort of exactly know how to advise people on this because I'm not a mental health professional, but when you have a problem that needs medical attention is when your physical, biological or a physical, social or professional life is being affected by your behavior. Hmm. So if you think you using your phone is affecting your productivity to the extent that you could lose your job or it's causing you cut ties with your friends who are accessible to you in your nearby periphery or it's actually causing back pain or neck pain or it's causing your eyes to go sore or causing them to burn. In that case, I believe that you do need help to leave the phone alone. But till then it's okay, let your friend know how you're feeling. To share, uh, share memes in the way that you have a move. How do you describe yourself beyond someone who consumes and distributes and educates people via digital content? Um, it sort of ties with my identity at this point. Like that's what people know me for. Hmm. But at the same time, I sort of describe right. myself uh, to be in a constant information overload or seeking information overload. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was a curious child and I've sort of managed not to let that die. So usually I just describe myself as a curious person in the absence of the internet context. How do you pick and decide what information to consume online in a way to, you know, also know and be rational about it, I would say, or, you know, to protect your sanity because there's so much that you can't pick what affects you how. Okay, so now we've gone into a question that's much larger than what we're discussing, which is just memes. Uh, it's the fact that a permanent record of information that is accessible at any point has pushed us into psychological territories that are unknown. We've never had these problems before. We've never had so much information that we don't know what to do with or what to look at. Yeah. So one of the things is that if it really affects you, if it gets you jumpy, if it is affecting your sleep cycle, step away, distract yourself from it. Come from 1 to 10 when you feel like you're restless because you're not around the screen. I mean, that's what I would do. But at the same time, I feel like cognitive preparation to be overwhelmed by information is something we all need to be ready for by now. Like, if you're saying that you want to be comfortable with how much you know, that is not an option for you anymore. Like, uh, I think Richard Rorty is the one who writes about final vocabularies and how people basically just find words that they want to use for the rest of their lives. And they fit ideas that fit their words and sort of, that's how they live for the rest of their lives. I, okay. I don't think that can happen anymore. I feel like information will come at you at light speed that will break your neck. And all you can do is wear a neck brace at this point and hope that your neck is safe. Ducking and moving yeah, is not... that's a great way to... Like, you can't duck and weave anymore. Yeah, yeah I think it's it, it gets a lot sometimes. And uh, 
I try to, do you try to, you know, take that step back ever if it gets too much for you or does it get too much for you at all? Um, there was a time that I needed to take that step, step back quite a lot. Uh, but now I've developed a tolerance as to where I can go for a while. But I'm still limited by flesh and blood. So like I get tired like on a regular basis, at least like four times a month. And yeah, I get at that point, I just turn off my screen. I go out, I take a walk. I do something that is not related to information I'm consuming. Uh, something that I enjoy, something that is familiar territory. For example, playing the guitar is something I enjoy. And then I get back to it. Yeah. Right. I think that makes sense. We have a question mm-hmm. that says, Karan asks, do you think that at every point over time, people always had more information that they were ready for? I mean, every point over time, that's relative to them. I, yeah, I think so. What do yes, you think? definitely. Definitely. Yes. Ability to sort of consume information over time, over age specifically, deteriorates. The time that you're most emotionally unavailable to, emotionally non-prepared for to handle information is when you can use it the most, which is adolescence. That's when you can consume the most and remember the most. But at the same time, as you grow, the emotional factors necessary for processing some of this information, you're going to get tired just learning. And... At some point, words will become symbols on pages that you don't understand. So, that is a very real thing. He's right. So, uh, speaking, so, someone just asked a question and I'm going to try to improvise on it. Memes are laughed upon right now, Mm -hmm. right? Similarly, why do you think people like Freud, Galileo and Karen Homme were laughed upon? Well, Karen Hawley is the meme. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, Galileo was laughed upon because he had a new idea that just sounded bonkers. Yeah. And one of the great things about internet culture compared to Galileo is that if you sound crazy, you're probably right. Yeah. That's, that's the new novel of the internet. I remember distinctly, the first time I met you, I told you a story where... Uh, a lady, like a lady who was born without a vagina, that was her birth defect. Yeah, she got pregnant during a knife fight because there was semen present on a knife fight that actually infiltrated her uh, uterine tract and then impregnated her. She gave birth to a baby. So now it yeah. sounds crazy in Galileo's time as well. But doesn't change that there is evidence to suggest that it happened pretty reasonably. So I feel like that's the yeah. Contrast we're looking at. Right. Speaking of contrast, when I like we're talking about the first time we met, you handed me a visiting card, and you're someone who consumes a lot of digital content, but your visiting card has a meme because I'm so sure you would give it to anybody who you meet. Yeah. So why would you choose paper as a medium of communication and PR and advertising, please? Um, I mean, this is purely an advertisement or a a marketing decision. So people remember things in contrast, like I said, what illuminates yeah. the color yellow is a color that is not as bright, like black, which is why yellow stripes on a black car go really well. Uh, people don't expect to see memes on paper. Like, right. uh, for example, people don't expect to see very well painted graffiti in a bathroom. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping to play off the absurdity of a meme on a visiting card and that being imprinted in people's memory that they saw this combination at some point in their life. Yeah, that's that's a brilliant marketing <laughs> move, I must say. I love it. It was great. I feel like I was taken aback when I saw that someone actually curates memes. <laughs> but then that's something I distinctly remember about you. Mm. So it's... It's quite interesting. What's the one thing you wish people asked you about uh, memes and internet culture, but they don't? What do they? What they? Uh, what I hope they would ask, but don't. Yeah. That is an interesting one. Hold on. Um, 
I think the one pet peeve I have is, is something I really enjoy talking about is the inherent uh, ties of meme culture and nihilism. Mm-hmm. Because over time, we sort of changed. Uh, people have changed the way they look at things uh, through the lens of me- uh, mimetic expression. For example, there was a time when liberalism was really popular to a point where uh, conservatism became very popular in the middle in meme culture. And then now, like especially post-2018, centrists are the ones who everybody's sharing memes to. Like liberal centrists, basically people who just want to live and let live. But one thing that is constant is that everybody's moving towards a consensus that nothing matters. And I feel like that is something that doesn't get talked about enough. And I genuinely enjoy talking about it quite a lot. Nothing matters can be taken in any uh, situation or whether you're talking about quantum physics or anything. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite topic to talk about when it comes to meme culture? Um, I think period-wise, one of the favorite memes I enjoy talking about is... um, that boy. Hmm. I think the, I just enjoy talking about it. It's so stupid, but it's the creation of that boy from the ether was creation and distribution yes. for being a meme. It's the meme that exists to be a meme. I find that something stupid could exist for the sake of being stupid and be so popular to be very interesting because hmm. that boy sort of was the most important thing in 2012 and by 2015 it made a return as an ancient being of itself. So paintings got reiterated as uh, that boy. And that boy was essentially a frog on a unicycle uh, with uh, Snoop Dogg's beat in the back. And the lyrics were, here comes that boy, shit what up. Generate a text to speech. There was no effort put into it at all. Right. I've never, I've never checked it out. I should probably do that after we have this conversation. Yeah, for sure. It so, is you know, beautiful. So introducing yourself as a meme curator is a very different uh, thing that no one's heard of. So what was it like with your parents when you, <laughs> when you described this to them? Uh, I don't think they understand it to this day. Like even till today? I don't think they understand this to the, like. The only thing I think my mother registered is that somebody put a toilet in a um, museum of modern art and now my son does the same thing. I think that's all she <laughs> That's pretty cool. And you're studying law, right? How did that happen? Um, From psychology? Well, mostly because I see copyright as the next big battle of uh, me. Like, I know that I know that they can't shut down memes without copyright. That's the only ground of um, censorship that they have. When I say they, I mean the powerful, the people who are rich, the people who uh, get hurt by dissent. And I feel like copyright law needs to be understood before the battle comes to it. But of course, I'm too late because of my own age. European Union has passed Article 13, which is essentially starting to ban memes on copyright grounds as a format by itself. Oh. Yeah. And India is working on a similar similar legislation. America has rejected any such claims so far, but YouTube has started to recognize uh, even small amounts of created content to not be used for transformative content as we understand it. Mm-hmm. So copyright abuse is widespread even now. It's so convoluted because we don't really have something like uh, the DMCA, which is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, mm-hmm. 1998. So, but we don't have something like that. What do you think is an ideal policy to work with when it comes to copyright, intellectual property, or uh, yeah, or digital uh, content in general? Well, we should probably have a legislation that's specially for digital content and for created for digital content. For example, censorship laws needs to be way relaxed for digital content because it's consumer privacy. And of course, big lack of 
legislation in this country for example our it act is built in 2000 and is archaic already yeah so i i, I don't know where the lines are i'm not a legislator or legislation expert yet so i, I think it's best that i reserve my comments as much as i can but overall i think uh, we do need much much more relaxed copyright laws that don't let big companies like tc series or university create a monopoly over memes or meme culture something that just about protects everybody's rights and doesn't let the powerful take over i feel like that is an important factor that the internet has still preserved right and what do you think will make uh, make it more stringent towards uh, various uh, channels that are created digitally or various uh, you know photos videos audios memes uh, to uh, propagate for the benefit well, of a governing body or something like that so far i believe there is no necessity to sort of classify uh, propaganda content as as such because if you look look at it closely enough all content is a is an individual expression which means is individual propaganda if nothing else it will tie into a larger political narrative if you try hard enough right. and I, i feel like that is too broad a categorization to make but uh, there is there are ways to clearly incentivize things that are outright about political uh, propaganda or de incentivize things that are outright for negative uh, public propaganda Uh, but i am strictly against regulation of content on that front i understand some of it needs to be regulated okay. but like i want to spare my hands on that right we have a question that asks whether you are more interested in memes on the internet that go viral or or cultural memes that are passed on for generations hmm. that is a good question to be honest uh i'm actually interested more in the internet cultural memes because um they speak volumes about the people my age hmm. we're not restricted by the cohorts of like our age groups or genders or things like that we obviously have much more to us than that but i know i'll be remembered with the people i was contemporaries of age wise so i feel like mm-hmm. those are the ones that i i, I really care about mm-hmm. because the uh, peanut butter jelly time is is a sing along song for people who were on the internet in the 2005 and in the 2015 yeah. it sort of became about doge and pepe so yeah. i generally care more about it just because it um circulates around the people uh, the group of people i will be identified with if nothing else so i think that that answers the question but cultural means are pretty interesting i, I feel like i care about them as well just not as much as the other one right and what's the one thing you want to or you have tried to unlearn about consuming things on the internet whether it's memes or whether it's videos or whether it's podcasts for that matter is there something you're trying to unlearn or is there something that changed your perspective on something um finding consensus i feel like i've i've unlearned that quite a lot Okay. I feel like finding consensus is the uh, most important thing thing that I've learned from the internet. Uh I know that internet is full of comebacks like it, at this point I think nobody has doubts about that. You shouldn't believe everything on the internet right. because some people try on lying to you. Fortune actually did entire campaigns about misinformation some of which included throwing iPhones into water. So right Uh, I've sort of learned that if you hear something, just because it's a new observation, which has credible sources to it, doesn't mean the narrative that it's bringing to you is also true. So, right. finding I think that's good. Yeah. Yeah, finding conclusions about the uh, consensus of who agrees what the larger narrative is is something I've learned, and navigating mm-hmm. the most. reasonable thing to assume to be true is uh, a lot more trickier than I, than i usually thought it was say 5 years ago i feel like that's what i've learned mostly right. from meme culture 
we're coming to an end of this hour but i just want to ask you my final question is do you think we are learning how to respect another person's right to an opinion online at least no <laughs> i will what do you think we can do um uh, i mean we can talk more i think that's the only thing I, there's no other way to it still that because a lot of us get tired looking at all everybody's opinions and then arguing about them about the same thing but yeah. the key to human society is the essence of human society is repetition i hope at some point we will stop being tired or learn to be tired by ourselves uh okay i think uh is it albert camus i think he's the one who said the way to survive the plague is decency and by the plague he means the way to survive the way to survive the plague is decency and mm. i feel like we will learn to be decent with time and in the book right. of course he's talking about the metaphorical plague which is human life but we're also in an actual plague <laughs> so yeah. i feel like that will teach us a few things i mean it's a, it's a horrible way to learn for a civilization to be decent to each other but silver linings i guess well this was great thank you so much for uh, agreeing to tune in for this i love you so much and i've learned a lot today and i hope people check out your channel deep fried neurons on youtube spotify and other platforms i think anchor Google yeah it's everywhere it's not wrong everywhere so just look for deep fried neurons and you will understand a little more about anuj's beautiful mind I was listening to the one you did on uh, Shiva and Vishnu the creator the maintainer and the destroyer uh, which is pretty cool and yeah thank you so much for joining this you have been fabulous I hope you had a good I did. time thank, thank you. you okay bye. bye so that was Anuj Nakde and this was I think it was Nakde please forgive me if I mispronounced that one uh This was about memes and internet culture. This is take 25 stories with Shastri. I hope you enjoyed this. If you have any feedback, please let me know. Uh tell me what I can do better. If there's someone you think I can bring on, let me know. 